Bodybuilding is a kind of an interesting sport, and of course, it's, it's not a new thing. It was, uh, it's been around for a long time. The ancient Greeks had their own forms of bodybuilding, but with modern nutrition and technology, it has certainly kind of grown and expanded. It's the sport or the art of uh, spending all day in the gym trying to convince your muscles to grow. And this is not necessarily for some practical or functional purpose, but it's so that when you flex or you stand in a pose in which no one would ever stand in normal everyday life unless you wanted to look like an egocentric jerk. It's so that when you do that, your muscles will pop out like a bag of microwave popcorn and expand suddenly. That's, that's why we do it. And, and these people work on muscles that most of us don't even know exist. We don't even know we've, we've got these muscles. You know, like I've been in the gym for five hours working this muscle right here, or this one back here somewhere. And, and you don't even know those things exist, but they're working these muscles to try to get them to be defined and to stand out. Now, if you're a bodybuilder, I'm not looking for trouble because as you can tell, I'm not. And so uh, I'm just using you as an illustration, all right? And last Sunday, we saw from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that communion or the Lord's Supper is a symbol that we're all a part of the body of Christ and that we should examine ourselves in light of the body because of what Jesus did through his death and through his resurrection, and because our faith in him makes us one with him, we're also a part of one another. We belong to one another. Religious practices then aren't a cover-up for pride or for division. And in chapters 12 to 14, Paul continues to address issues that were occurring in the worship services of the Corinthian churches. They gathered to worship and he keeps using and expanding on this imagery of the body of Christ. Chapters 12 to 14 focus attention on spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12.1 tells us this. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And from this introduction to the chapter, we may assume that Paul simply feels the need to teach the Corinthian church something about spiritual gifts. But as with the rest of this letter, Paul isn't just writing to inform them. He's writing to correct something. And chapter 14 is going to reveal that there were issues in the Corinthian church regarding the use of spiritual gifts when they were gathered to worship, and Paul wanted to correct those problems. And this is important because it means that we can't just read Paul's instructions in these chapters in a vacuum as if he simply wanted to describe spiritual gifts to us. In 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, it, it isn't spiritual gifts 101. Instead, it's more like a troubleshooting manual for spiritual gifts. And if we treat it like spiritual gifts 101, I actually believe that you can end up with some incorrect assumptions and limitations about what spiritual gifts are, and you can end up with a misplaced emphasis on some spiritual gifts over other gifts that God gives, which is actually what Paul was trying to correct in these chapters. We want to let the emphasis of the scripture, the emphasis of the Bible, be our emphasis as well, which means that we won't treat these chapters like they're exhaustive teachings on gifts of the Spirit. And so while I am going to talk about manifestations of the Holy Spirit this morning, which um, 
which are important and are good, and we will talk about those things, and, and we'll get to that. And we want to see those things in corporate worship, and, and they're here to encourage us, and I want to encourage you to be open to the gifts of the Spirit. I will also point out that Paul's list of gifts was not intended to be exhaustive. He doesn't give precise definitions to these gifts that some teachers have created, and that he mixes what we might think of as different types of gifts together and puts them all in the same list. He puts things like helper and leadership and vision together with things like prophet and and teacher. And the real focus of this passage is not just spiritual gifts per se, but it's on bodybuilding. You can help pump up the body. That's what Paul is saying. You can help pump up the body. And the correction the Corinthians needed may not be the same correction or direction that we need in our body. So while we will consider the details of the passage, we're also going to think about how our situation might differ from theirs and what principles Paul highlights what those might teach us in our, in our circumstances. So let's read. We're going to read the whole passage together. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 31. Let's read it together. Those verses say this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, that is the body of Christ, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." 
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, let's take a look at some of the disciplines that Paul puts in here that can help you to pump up the body of Christ. Bodybuilders know that getting swole, getting the right physique, isn't all about time in the gym. They also have to have a great diet, which means they have to eliminate certain kinds of foods like added sugars and deep fried foods which is why most of us are not bodybuilders. It's not so much the gym, it's the deep fried foods that get you, isn't it? And in the same way, as a member of the body of Christ who wants to help pump up the body, you should eliminate pride. We're not talking about pumping yourself up so that you can stand out for others. We're not talking about pumping yourself up so that you can be better, but recognizing that you are part of a body in which you're not in competition with the other members, but you are working together with them in order to accomplish a common goal. And before talking about specifics regarding any of the various gifts that are mentioned in this chapter, we have to recognize just how much emphasis is placed on humility in the body of Christ. Notice some of the things that the Holy Spirit inspired in this chapter to impress into our minds. The primary thing is that it's all about Jesus. Look at verses two to three. They remind us um, that it's all about Jesus, and they might sound a bit confusing. It, It seems obvious at first when you read that no one can say by the Spirit Jesus is accursed. I mean, that that seems obvious that the Holy Spirit would never inspire someone to blaspheme. But in Greek, there isn't a verb in this phrase, so it literalistically reads, Jesus, curse. And based on some pagan texts discovered in Corinth from about this time, uh, it's possible that this phrase wasn't supposed to indicate someone cursing Jesus, but actually is an example of a prayer asking Jesus to curse someone else. And that would be an extreme case of a competitive, proud spirit but it would kind of fit the context of what was going on in the problems in the Corinthian church at the time. Either way, whether it's a prayer that Jesus would curse someone else or Paul is simply saying what may seem obvious to to us, that no one would ever say by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is cursed, the opposite helps us to understand what Paul's getting at in the first place. Because it's objectively not true that someone couldn't utter just the phrase, Jesus is Lord, if they don't believe in him or if they don't have the Holy Spirit. In fact, people have done this. People who are not believers have said those words. That's not what Paul is getting at. It's not what he's talking about. But the point is, at the time, the statement, Jesus is Lord, set Christians apart, set them apart from Jews, set them apart from Gentiles. It marked them off as distinct, as servants of Jesus and could have been uh, and could have made them a target of persecution in their communities. So Paul was saying that the Holy Spirit will never inspire any kind of manifestation that would disgrace Jesus directly or would be an act of pride against another member in the body. 
In other words, what Paul is saying when he says no one says by the Spirit Jesus is accursed and no one can say except by the Spirit Jesus is Lord, what he's saying is spiritual manifestations are all about exalting Jesus. They're not about exalting us. They're not about puffing us up. They are about exalting Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about how you'll look or it's not about what people think. It is about him. And it's easy to say that you do something for Jesus, isn't it? It's easy to say, I'm doing this for Jesus. But let's be honest for a moment. Sometimes pride and selfish motives get mixed up in that, don't they? Ask yourself, would I do this if no one praised or thanked me? I'm not saying that we shouldn't thank people, not saying that we shouldn't honor people, we should. But when it comes to our individual motives, it's a helpful question to ask. Ask yourself, Would I continue ministering in this way if there was opposition and difficulty and some people didn't like it? You could also ask, would I do this if no one ever found out that it was me who did it? Another pride killer is remembering that any talent or resource that you have and any way the Holy Spirit works through you is a gift from God. And this isn't just manifestations like we might think of, like prophecy or something like that. This is anything that you have. It is a gift from God. Any way that God uses you, that is a gift from him. And gifts aren't earned. They're not deserved, are they? You can boast about them. People boast about gifts all the time. Maybe you remember when you were a kid and you got a fantastic gift from your grandparents and you pridefully went and showed it off to your friends who didn't get the same kind of gift from their grandparents, and you thought it said something really great about you. All it said about you is you're an ego, uh, egomaniac, that you're a jerk, that you, you don't love your friends like you actually say you do. That's all it said about you. The people that it said something about were actually your grandparents. It said that they're wealthy and generous. That's, that's what it said. The gift said nothing about the person who received it. It says something about the person who gave it. And so what we have from God When we have a gift, it doesn't say something about us. It says something about the person who gave that gift. It says something about God who is generous and is wealthy in the Spirit. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit, he gives you a gift. And it doesn't say something about you. It says something about God and his care for his church, his love and his generosity. And so to go around and act like you have special status or privilege because of a gift of the Spirit is disingenuous and it steals glory from God, and it's prideful. Verse 11 emphasizes this. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit doesn't give gifts based on what is deserved, but based on what he wills. Furthermore, those gifts aren't given for your good, but they're given for the common Look at verse 7. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good or for the good of others. Whether your gift is a gift of prophecy or it's helping in children's ministry or it's a gift of administration, the gift is for the good of the body of Christ. God hasn't given you that gift for you to just keep or for you to have or to just make you look good. He's given it for the sake of the church. And again, While there is a focus in this chapter, because there was a focus in the Corinthian church on public manifestations of the Spirit in the worship service, Paul also includes often underappreciated gifts like 
helping those in need, or effective leadership in vision, which is more like what the word administration means. And there's no brand distinction or, or separation of value based on kind. Verse 11 says that all these gifts are given and empowered by one and the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you those gifts. So we can't even say that we got our gifts at the name brand store and others didn't. There's no brand recognition here. You can't look down on somebody because their gift is generic and you got yours at the Apple store. There's no Bucky's brand cup recognition because you're carrying your Starbucks cup around and, and that other person over there only has Dunkin' Donuts. Where there are gifts and manifestations in the church, they just come from the Holy Spirit. One and the same Spirit gives them. And since what we have are all gifts given for the common good and they all come for the sa- from the same person, There's really no place for pride then, but it still sneaks in, doesn't it? It did in the Corinthian church where they apparently thought that speaking in tongues was the premier gift that set a person apart as spiritual, and they may have even thought that it was the language of the angels. Maybe we don't have just one gift that we highlight over others, but we can have pride that keeps us from caring for and from serving one another the way that we should, which is what the gifts are for. They are for pumping up the body. They're not for puffing up ourselves. And of course, there are the obvious ways that pride gets in when we look down on one another or when we will only use our gifts when we find it beneficial or it will bolster our reputation or we're gonna get thanked or we're gonna be given attention rather than using them to genuinely care for others. There might be more subtle ways that pride gets in. God has given you gifts, but maybe you don't use them for the good of the body. You don't want the headache. You don't want to deal with other people. Maybe you have a gift from God, like maybe you have a a gift for wisdom with resources or a a gift of leadership or you've got a gift of of music or, or some other gift that God has given you, but you only use it to benefit yourself and you don't use it to benefit the body, to pump up the body of Christ. I wanna encourage you, eliminate your pride and help pump up the body of Christ. That's why God has given you the gifts that you have. Bodybuilders not only eliminate those things that keep them from pumping up their bodies, they also have diverse workouts so that they don't skip important muscle groups. Maybe you've heard the expression before, don't skip leg day. It's used to to talk about people who work out their upper body and they want it to look good, but then they skip their legs because they don't think there will be as much attention paid to their lower body, like it doesn't affect their appearance as much. But over time, they might end up looking something like this guy, if you can show that picture. Might look a little bit like him. Nobody wants to look like that, do they? And that guy's probably gonna have all kinds of knee trouble carrying around that bulk up there on those tiny little legs. Diversity in our gifts bring strength to the body of Christ as well. You should help build diversity in the unity of the church. And this diversity in unity is based on God's own nature. Read verses four to six again with me. Look at how how important this is. It's not a cliche, it's not a worldly cliche for sure. Look at what this this diversity in unity is based on. It says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord a reference to Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God, a reference to the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. In other words, 
the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are all involved in giving the church what it needs to be effective. They are unified in purpose, and yet they are diverse in person and in the variety of gifts that they give. And notice that Paul refers to gifts, he refers to services, and he refers to activities. I would suggest that there may be more diversity in what God provides the church than we typically think about when we use the terminology spiritual gifts, that it's actually much broader than when we narrow it down to a list that we have assumed is exhaustive, that when you study it, it doesn't seem it was intended to be. This chapter actually has two lists that contain some of the same gifts and some different gifts or manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And as I pointed out at the beginning, they're not intended to have all the gifts. They're not intended to be exhaustive or define them. They don't contain all the possibilities of the gifts the Holy Spirit may put into a congregation. And I think that sometimes teachers and preachers of the scripture have gotten so caught up trying to explain and describe and define a particular gift that they miss the larger point that Paul was making in this passage and they may even limit what the Holy Spirit wants to do by teaching that a gift is just this or that these are the, the only the nine gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, that's it, no more, don't even think about anything else. Consider just the first two gifts the verse, the, in verse eight. The SV translated these as utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge. First off, what's an utterance, all right? Just not a great translation of these words. It makes it sound really spiritual, but it doesn't communicate what Paul is getting at. The word that Paul used is just the word that meant word. So you could translate it word of wisdom or word of knowledge or maybe even better, wise speech or wise knowledge or, or um, knowledgeable speech. So think about the Proverbs in the Old Testament. These may very well be examples of a word of wisdom, wise speech that is given to give direction to life. And pastors and Bible teachers have notoriously tried to define and parse the differences between these gifts, but what they overlook is that wisdom and knowledge were both Christian cliches in the Corinthian church that they thought made a person spiritual. They wanted somebody who sounded wise. They wanted somebody who sounded smart in worldly terms. And so Paul doesn't list these because they're the best, but he lists them to remind the Corinthians that real wisdom and real knowledge come from the Holy Spirit and are for the body of Christ, not just personal gain. And remember, Paul has already told them what the wisdom of God is. He says that the cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. So real spiritual wisdom won't be self-exalting. It will be to exalt Jesus. Other gifts the Spirit gives are faith, which might just be a strong belief in a promise or provision from God that helps encourage faith in others, physical healings, works of power, which may indicate miracles or may actually indicate visionary leadership or effective leadership, or maybe Paul meant it to be intentionally broad since he wasn't giving an exhaustive list of gifts here. Prophecy, which is speech that is directed from God to men that brings correction and instruction to men and women and encouragement for God's people. Distinguishing between spirits, which probably just means discerning when it's the Holy Spirit who's working behind something. Or tongues, where various tongues, Paul says, which is spirit-inspired prayer, praise, or thanksgiving, as Paul himself defines it in chapter 14, or thanksgiving to God in a language that the speaker, and in the case of 1 Corinthians 12 in particular, the hearers don't understand. And then interpretation of tongues, which is 
helping hearers to understand what was just spoken. And notice there's a different list with apparently different kinds of things in verse 28. God appointed first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Now this list seems to include people who regularly exercised a particular gift along with gifts that may or may not be practiced regularly by one person. And it even includes some gifts that you might not think of as supernatural. Gifts like teachers or helping or administration, which again, it was a word used to describe someone who was steering a boat, so probably indicates leadership or vision casting. What I want you to see is the incredible diversity in the gifts that Paul does list. In fact, I think part of the reason that Paul doesn't define all of these gifts in this context is to indicate the diversity of gifts that the Holy Spirit can give. God gives all kinds of gifts, and he intends us to use them to pump up the church. Some of them we have biblical names for, and they're included in a list in the Bible, but some of them we don't. We may not have a name for that gift, and that's fine. The point is that we should promote a diversity of gifts in the unity of the church and seek to recognize when the Holy Spirit is behind something. In other words, don't skip leg day. We need a diversity in the body of Christ. Paul uses the imagery of the body to drive this home. And we need to recognize that when Paul says members, he's not talking about loosely associated members of an organization. Like you might be a member at a big box store where you can go buy wholesale goods, right? You can be a member there. He's not talking about membership like that. He's talking about limbs and organs, parts of the body of Christ. That's what he means by members. God has arranged the body so that we thrive through unified diversity. There's too much in Paul's metaphor of the body for us to soak it all in in one day. But let me encourage you in a couple of ways. If you have a gift and you sense the Holy Spirit directing you to use that gift, calling you to put it into use in the body of Christ, but you don't have a name for it, it doesn't appear in the, give, uh, in the book about spiritual gifts that you just read. It doesn't seem very flashy. You don't really think that you're very talented. Don't withhold that gift from the body of Christ. Just because it's not named, it wasn't in the book, or you don't think it fits on the platform, don't withhold that gift from the body of Christ. Look how serious verse 18 is. It says this, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body or the parts in the body, each one of them as he chose. God puts us together. That's pretty profound, isn't it? I mean, it's not like we're just members of the church. We are parts, pieces, limbs, and organs of a body that God himself has designed and called for this place at this time. It means that he has put us together in such a way that we will be able to effectively accomplish his purposes for this church in this season. It means he puts the gifts that are needed in the body. It means that you don't get a pass if you don't think that you're talented because you don't decide that you're gonna be this organ or that limb, but God places and arranges us as he chooses. I want to highlight some folks that you may not see that enable a whole bunch of ministry here. Sometimes the gifts that they have, they're not named, and yet they're gifts that God gives through the Holy Spirit 
to bless and to pump up the body of Christ. We've got a, a ministry called Gifts and Good Tastes, and they help set up and serve meals and events. Now, these people could think to themselves, well, I'm not on the worship team, I'm not on the platform, so maybe what I do isn't as important or doesn't matter. But let me tell you, they enable a ton of ministry that happens in the church that would be a real headache and worse wouldn't happen in many cases without them. Or there are those who minister in our food pantry and they might, not, they might think, well, I'm not in the choir, I'm, I'm filling bags of groceries. But if we're to take this seriously, what God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, then we have to say that God is behind and enables their ministry. Or what about those who serve as ranger commanders or girls ministry leaders who volunteer for outreach events? They may not be on a stage, but we should take seriously the need for diverse gifts other than those that we might see on a regular basis. Or what about those who minister in ways that aren't formal? Maybe it's not even part of a named ministry, but they minister to people in our body. The past week, I've heard three people refer to Gary and how Gary has touched their lives. Gary is a part of our hospitality team, but the way that he's touched these people's lives is not part of his regularly scheduled ministry. It's not in the ministry description. He's discipled people, he's encouraged people toward baptism, and he's given them books that have helped them grow in Jesus. There's no title for that. There's no name for it necessarily. And if you were to look at Gary, you would not think Gary is a bodybuilder. But let me tell you, he's like a spiritual hulk, even if we don't have a name for the ministry that he's doing, because he's following the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads him and gifts him. It's fantastic. God created that diversity in us. Let's encourage it by getting involved where God has given us gifts and by encouraging it in others, by encouraging the diversity of gifts in the body of Christ. You can help pump up the body and the emphases of 1 Corinthians 12 show us that you should eliminate pride and that you should help build diversity in unity. And I told you at the beginning that the purpose of this chapter was not just general teaching on gifts of the Spirit, but was a corrective to abuses in the Corinthian church. One of the primary abuses that we'll see more clearly in chapter 14 is that they were abusing the gift of speaking in tongues. They were overworking that muscle to the detriment of others. But in our church, that's not the overworked muscle. In, in our context, we probably tend to overwork other kinds of gifts. Maybe we overwork gifts of teaching or perhaps those of compassion or of administration to the detriment of other gifts. We tend to focus on gifts that maybe we feel that we can control rather than those that seem foreign or out of control to us. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians 14 that public manifestations of the Spirit are not out of control experiences, but they're experiences in which a person cooperates with the Holy Spirit to bring a message or give direction or to lead God's people in inspired prayer. Admittedly, they might seem foreign to us in our context, but that's just because we live in a highly rationalized age where people want to try to control everything, even spirituality. What is undeniable is that these gifts of the Spirit are present in Scripture. They're present in God's inspired Word. And contrary to what you may have heard, there is no expectation or indication in the Bible that these gifts were going to disappear with the apostles or when the Bible was completed. The Bible just doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit has not left God's church. So why would we expect that some things called 
gifts of the Spirit would suddenly leave God's church. What's more, manifestations and gifts of the Spirit for building up the body of Christ are still in use in the church throughout the world and here in our body as well. I've heard the testimonies of many in this congregation who have experienced those gifts of the Spirit. Many have experienced healings. One woman that I know of, her hair grew back after she lost it all but received prayer. There are several couples in the congregation right now who were having trouble having kids and and one of them is getting ready to deliver as we speak after receiving prayer and they're becoming parents. I've heard testimonies of God's direction being given through prophecy in people's lives. If you wanna help pump up the body, you should be open to the manifestations of the Spirit that go beyond using the gifts that you might sometimes consider natural gifts for God. We can't manipulate God, and I'm not suggesting that you start trying to make something happen, but listen to verse 31. It says this, earnestly desire the higher gifts. What are the higher gifts? Jump ahead to 1 Corinthians 14, 5. It says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. The word greater is the same word in verse 31 we just read, for higher. And here's what Paul's getting at. The point, if we leave aside the specifics for now, and we'll talk about those in a couple of weeks, but if we leave aside the, po- the specifics and we just look at what's the goal, the goal was that the church might be built up. The greater or the higher gifts are simply the gifts most needed to build up the church at any given moment. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 says that we should keep on earnestly desiring those gifts. In other words, we should keep wanting and asking to be used by the Holy Spirit in the ways that are most needed to pump up the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says we should keep earnestly desiring those things. And I just want to encourage you to be open to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do through you and and to desire the gifts that are gonna build up the church. Ask the Lord to give those gifts. Ask him to use you in those gifts. Tell him that you're available. Have a faithful, rather than a skeptical mindset about it. Cultivate a love in your life for the body of Christ. That is for your brothers and sisters in Christ, for the church as we're gathered together. Cultivate a love and a desire to bless the church. I'm not telling you to set aside your mind. I'm not telling you to set aside discernment. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, you already believe that God lives in you through the Holy Spirit. You believe that the Spirit cleansed you. He baptized you into Christ. You believe that the Spirit sanctifies you, that he guides you toward uh, life in Christ. You already believe all of that. If you're a genuine believer in Jesus, you believe the Holy Spirit lives in you and is working in you supernaturally. And so the Bible also states that the Spirit gives other gifts that aren't just internal to you, but are intended to be external and that pump up the body of Christ, that build up and extend the body. We like to focus on the rational gifts that we think of as being practical or we think of as being controllable. But if we neglect gifts like prophecy or tongues and interpretation, like wise speech or gifts of knowledge that come from the Spirit, then we're going to be like the guy who skipped leg day. It's not that we won't have something going for us. It's not that we will be able to accomplish nothing. It's just that 
we won't be able to accomplish everything that God intended because we won't have built up the muscles that he intended us to spiritually as the body of Christ to accomplish what he wants. Be open to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Earnestly desire them. When you sense the Holy Spirit may want to speak through you, be obedient to that. When the Holy Spirit speaks to the congregation through a gift of the Spirit, be attentive to that. Believers in Jesus are all part of the one body because we've all been baptized into Jesus through one and the same Spirit. And locally, we're that body. Here at this church, we're a body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives a wide array of gifts to the body in order to pump it up and build it up to be able to represent Christ and accomplish his accomplish his mission and his purposes for us in our context. And if we'll eliminate pride, if we'll be open to the manifestation of the Spirit, we won't have atrophied muscles, but instead we'll be able to accomplish God's purposes in the power that he called us to accomplish them in. Amen? Amen. God wants to pump up his body and he gives gifts through the Holy Spirit so that we might be able to participate in them. Today we've been focusing on the building up the body of Christ and maybe you've come today and, and you aren't a part of that body. You might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a part of this church and, and I don't even know what that metaphor really means and I'm, I'm not sure what these people are talking about. If you've come and you're, you're a guest with us or you don't have a, a, a relationship with Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I want to take just a moment and, and speak to you. Today, as part of our worship, we, we took communion of the Lord's Supper. We had bread and we had the cup and we took that together. And it was a reminder for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus about what Jesus has done for us. And what Jesus has done is this, that he died for our sin. And you might say, well, I, I don't know why that's necessarily important. The scripture says this, that God created you and he did it for the purpose that you might know him and love him, that you might be in a relationship with him. But there's this thing called sin that gets in the way. Now, most people have some vague idea of sin. They think it means, uh, you know, robbing the liquor store or, uh, I don't know, robbing the bank or, or, or you know, doing some individual action that, that is terrible and, and that people frown upon. And that's certainly part of it. But, but more importantly, sin is, it's just rebellion. It's rebellion against God. Sin is an attitude that, that gives life and breeds those other actions that we, we look at and we say, that's a sin. Sin is actually the internals of somebody who says, I don't want to know God's way. I don't want his way. I don't want to be a part of what he's doing. I want to do this my way. And the Bible gives us this very bad news, that we're all sinners, that all of us have this internal attitude that's bent away from God, and we don't want anything to do with him. And the bad news is this, that there's nothing we're going to do to kind of turn that back to him because we're, we're rebellious. We're not just going to be able to kind of turn the arrow back and point it back in the direction of God. Furthermore, even if we could somehow fix our attitude, we've already done things that violate God's character, his holiness, and his law, and those sins demand punishment. They demand justice. But God loves us. The Bible makes that very clear. It says God loves you. So what is a loving and yet just God going to do in order to forgive your sin, the Bible says this, he sent his son Jesus to die. Jesus, the, the son of God, God in the flesh, became human so that he could die in your place. The wages of sin is death. If you're going to push God away, the creator and author of life, what do you expect except that the consequence of that is going to be death. 
And God sent Jesus to bear the consequence of that sin in himself. Because Jesus was not a sinner, because his will wasn't bent away from God, and because he'd never done anything that indicated that he was in rebellion against God, when he died for sin, sin was swallowed up. Your sin and mine, it was taken. His punishment was complete, and the punishment for your sin was completed. He died for you. But he didn't just die so that you could one day in a church in Agawam in summer of 2022 raise your hand and say, okay, I guess I'll buy that ticket to heaven. No, what, what God did through Jesus on the cross was this. He made it possible for you to have new life in Jesus. And when you hear a Christian talk about having faith in Jesus, that's what they mean. They don't just mean I believed something one day in my head. They mean that I believed that when Jesus died, I died with him to my old sinful self and to my rebellion against God that God had revealed to me by his grace was leading me to death. And when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, I'm alive in him. God raised me up too. So now I have new life in Jesus. So it's no longer I who live, it's Jesus who lives in me. And the life I now live in my body, I live by faith in Jesus who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what Christians mean when they say, I believe in Jesus, I have faith in Jesus. And so I wanna ask you very simply this morning, do you have that kind of faith in Jesus? Because if you don't, the Bible says the consequences for rejecting God's free gift of salvation, of life through Jesus, the consequences of that are the opposite of life, it's death. It's eternal separation from God. It's a separation from everything that is good and is right, is just, and is pure. But the gift of God is eternal life. It's restoration to right relationship with God, though you've done nothing to earn it or to deserve it. But you've put your faith in Jesus, who's done everything for you. I ask if you close your eyes for just a moment today. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, and you'd like to begin that today, we'd love to help you start uh, by putting your faith in Jesus. And it doesn't happen because you raise your hand, and it won't happen because I know the right words to say in a prayer. Those things have nothing to do with it. What has everything to do with it is Jesus saves you when you put your faith in him genuinely. So if you've come to church this morning and you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus and maybe you don't even know why you're here, I mean, you'd rather not be. In fact, when you first came in, you were wondering, what am I doing in this place, perhaps? But God led you here. And maybe you've sensed since the beginning that God has been doing something in your life and in your heart, and you want to respond to what he's doing. You want to put your faith in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. And it's not because this action saves you. It's just because I want to be able to pray with you and for you. And I want to give you a way to respond to what you sense the Holy Spirit is doing in your life today. So if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, but today you believe it, you hear him calling you to that, and you want to respond to salvation by placing faith in Jesus, would you just lift up your hand so that I can pray with you in just a moment? Is there anybody like that? You don't have that relationship with God through Jesus, and you want to begin today? If you're joining us online and you'd like to respond, you can just text the word HOPE to 413-360-61. We'll text you back and we'll start a conversation about how to place your faith in Jesus. But if there's anybody here in the room, you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus and you want to begin that this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to wait just one more moment. 
I don't want you to miss that opportunity because God has given it to you this morning and there's not a guarantee that there will be another one. So don't pass it by and don't neglect it as something that's unimportant. It is the most important decision you'll ever make. And so if you don't have that relationship and you want to begin that today, would you just lift up your hand? Is there anybody like that? Anybody at all? I'm going to pray in case there are those online who may have decided to respond. And I want to encourage you, if you did, would you just make this prayer your prayer? Again, these words aren't magic words. I just want to help you express faith in Jesus. He's the one that saves you as you put your trust in him. Heavenly Father, today I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sin, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. And Lord, I confess that I've lived a life of rebellion against you, that I've run from you, and I've wanted nothing to do with your ways or your purposes. And today I admit and confess that I was wrong, but I also believe today that you sent Jesus to die for me. I see your love and I want to experience it more and more. I want to know your love in my life and I want to be made new by you. I thank you that you sent Jesus in spite of my wrong and I know that there's nothing that I can do to be right with you, but I believe that Jesus did everything. And so today I put my life in his hands and I trust him to give me the new life that I need. I ask you to make me clean, to forgive my sin, and I confess that Jesus is the Lord of my life. It's in his name I pray and I believe. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your, for your prayer this morning and for uh, believing with us for what God wants to do. I want to encourage you in this way. The church is the body of Christ. And if you're not sure what God has given you to do in the body, then I want to ask if you would make this week a week of prayer about that. Ask the Holy Spirit and, and, and do, what, do what Paul tells us in verse 31. Earnestly desire the higher gift. Say, Lord, I know that your word says that you put the body together and that it's not by accident and that I'm not here in this church by chance, but that you placed me here so that I could help to build up or pump up the body of Christ. So would you show me and direct me as to how you want me to do that? Ask him this, where are the gifts you've given me most needed? And will you give me other gifts, Lord, that will help me to be useful in the places where there is the most need? And just see what God will do. See what the Holy Spirit will do with your life. Maybe he will give you a completely new direction. Maybe he will direct you in a way that you already know he's been prodding you, but you've not been paying attention or listening. You've not been obedient. Perhaps you already know there are gifts, but you've been afraid, and he'll give you courage and confidence to use those gifts to build up the body of Christ. But what I want you to do is if you're not using those gifts, if, you're not, if, you're not, if you can't legitimately say, I am contributing to pumping up the body of Christ, then ask him to help you become a contributor to bodybuilding in the kingdom of God. Amen? 
because that's what God has placed us together in the church to do. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people, for us together as the body. We want to be built up. Lord, we don't want to skip leg day. We don't want to miss out on what you've called us to do. We don't want to be atrophied and grow weak. So Lord, would you lead us? Would you raise up new gifts? Would you give manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Would you give us willing hearts to hear what you're doing? And Lord, would you help us to find the ways that you want to use us to build up the body and make us effective for your purposes in your kingdom in this valley. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen.